prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you have given to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you, that we can have fellowship with you. Thank you that our sins are forgiven because of your love, because of your great mercy and your grace that you have lavished upon us. We pray that the self-control and discipline and time that's carved out by these men to be here this morning would prove fruitful in each one of our lives towards greater godliness, that we would be sharpened in our thinking and our leadership and our care for our homes and our pursuit of you, and that you would get the glory and honor that you deserve as a result of these things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we don't have outlines for you here this morning, uh, so you'll have to just take some notes on, uh, on the pages that are already in there if you'd like. And uh, I don't think our, our topic is that complicated to where you'll be lost without, without your handout. Um, but what I want to do is I want to start by talking about the, the EQ disciplines, and then we're going to narrow in and talk about discipline number two, leadership in the home, and particularly leading towards Christ, leading towards church involvement. And so the disciplines of the Christian life are really founded on, on many different disciplines, but they're summarized well in three primary practices, and each of these disciplines needs to be built upon the former. So it all starts with shepherding your own heart. That's the call of the Christian. And so particularly the man of God needs to bring his heart to the God of the word and shepherd his heart how to think, to agree with God, to pursue God, to love God, uh, all of these things. We know from scripture that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked. And we know there's a call for us to guard our heart, to keep our heart from Proverbs 4.23. And so the reality of the human heart is that it's deceitful above all else when left to itself. We are redeemed by Christ, and yet we live in this fallen flesh that still has capacity to sin and even propensities to sin. And as we'll see in the coming weeks from First Peter, our flesh, our strong passions are actually waging war against us. And so the necessity to guard our heart from what it would naturally be inclined to, to direct our heart to the things of the Lord is absolutely crucial as a man of God. And this comes through several different avenues. Certainly a, a quiet time, intentional time with the Lord in prayer, in reading, in meditation, communing with the Lord personally, intimately, is an absolute must for the Christian's life, to shepherd their heart, to renew your mind intentionally, to expose your heart to the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. How would we do that if we don't know his word? And so our aid to holiness is our exposure to the word of God in conjunction with being filled with the spirit of God and his spirit working us and, and giving us eyes to see and minds to understand, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, being spiritually appraised to understand the things of the Lord. God's word is not unclear, and then when you become a Christian, all of a sudden, God's word becomes clear. God's word is always clear. It's always infinitely valuable. It's always to be prized and precious to us. 
And yet the, the transformation that takes place is not something with God's word, it's with us. God gives us eyes to see. And so we need to bring our hearts to God's word. We shepherd our hearts intentionally. That should happen regularly, diligently, where we shepherd our hearts. But it doesn't start and stop with a 30-minute, 45-minute, 15-minute, hour-long, whatever However spiritual you are, it doesn't, it doesn't start and end with your quiet time. Shepherding your heart is the practice of the man of God. And that time devoted with the Lord in prayer and study of God's word is to be a catalyst for heart shepherding that takes place all throughout the day. When you're at work and something happens that is outside of your desired way that things would go, what does the man of God need to do? shepherd his heart to believe God, to trust God, to entrust himself to God, to be self-controlled, to not be pugnacious, to not have outbursts of anger. Whatever the occasion calls for, you actually direct your heart towards the Lord and oftentimes away from its natural carnal impulses. As a man of God who has the spirit of God inside of us, there are times where our our response to circumstances are actually good. And we go, wow, where did that come from? I know where that came from. That came from the Lord inside of me, working in me, because my natural impulses would have done something else. And that's the heart shepherding. When those natural impulses want to arise, fleshly living wants to come out, we shepherd our heart away from that, and we shepherd our heart towards the Lord towards loving him and valuing him. Now this practice of heart shepherding is to manifest itself first and primarily within our home. That's the sphere that should feel the influence, that should feel the impact of the heart shepherding that we're doing. Our home, our diligence in our home, our faithfulness. So as we shepherd our hearts and we're directed ourselves, we've directed ourselves to love God, to pursue God, to cherish Christ, that should flow out of us and into our homes through faithful leadership. Humble, Christ-like, loving, sacrificial leadership in our home, caring for our kids if you have kids, loving your wife if you're married. If you're not married and you don't have kids and you have roommates, being a faithful servant in your home with your roommates, whatever season the Lord has you in, your immediate sphere should feel the impact of the work that the Lord is doing. Why is that important? Because there are faithful with little, faithful with much principles. And even as you look at the elder qualifications, a man who is to manage the household of God but has neglected the management of his home is not qualified. And it's the argument from the lesser to the greater. So each of us has an obligation before the Lord to be faithful in the immediate context that the Lord has given us. As we do that, as we're faithfully leading, caring, serving, setting the spiritual tone in our homes, the area of then we're... uh, then where that should flow out to is into church life and body life in the local church. What can sometimes be confusing or challenging is, okay, I've shepherded my heart to pursue the Lord. Now I need to be faithful in my home. And before I step into various leadership ministries or, or different areas of service, I need to make sure that I'm being faithful in my home. Where do you draw the line? How do you distinguish how to be faithful in your home in contrast with faithfulness in the church? 
Because sometimes it might feel like those things compete. Hey, there's something with church I need to go do, but I haven't seen my family for a week. Okay, I'm going to say no to this church thing so that I can be with my family. Well, what about leading your family into the church? How do you do that? And when does leading your family into the church through example compromise your faithfulness in the home because you're leapfrogging the home. That's something that each one of us has to wrestle with and work through. And we know that life is full, that there's many obligations that each of us has, and we need to discern how do we juggle appropriately, how do we navigate, how do we seek faithfulness in all the things that we find on our plate? How do we decide when to advance on further commitments, involvement within the body of Christ, within other things in life, and when to pull back on commitments with the church, commitments with life, commitments with work. And for this morning, this lesson is not meant to be a corrective lesson for Gilbert Bible Church. I I didn't think of this going, man, where is Gilbert Bible Church really failing? Oh, let's talk about this. That's not at all. This was planned out a year ago, I think, year and a half ago, we had this as part of the plan for EQ. But it, it may not be corrective as a whole for us today, but I think it's informative for each one of us to constantly be evaluating and sharpening how we make decisions, how we pursue Christ, how we lead our families towards Christ. And so this isn't meant to be an admonishment or a rebuke, although some of us may find it as such, just in our own conscience before the Lord. But hopefully what it is, is a sharpening help for us as we seek to be faithful with what the Lord has for us in life. This is really foundational for the Christian life. When we talk about discipline one, shepherding your heart, discipline two, faithfulness in the home, discipline three, faithfulness in ministry, in the body of Christ. These are foundational disciplines, practices for the Christian life. And it's essential that we understand how to be faithful in all of these things. It's not that we just balance one with the other. We want complete godliness, complete faithfulness in each of these avenues. And I think the way that the Lord has created life to function is we don't have to feel like we're lacking one for the advancement of another. If we're shepherding our heart well, that doesn't mean we have to give up being faithful in our home. And if we're being faithful in our home, that doesn't mean we somehow have to compromise our heart shepherding. And if we're serving faithfully in ministry, that doesn't mean, well, somehow we're compromising our home. Or if we're being faithful in our home, that doesn't mean, well, somehow we're not living our fullness of body life. These things actually are intended by God to advance and complement one another, not compete with one another. So where we feel that competing tension is because we're not actually practicing or understanding these disciplines appropriately. But it does take discernment and wisdom. There's not a cookie-cutter principle for each of us as far as this is what the right level of involvement in the right way needs to look like. So how do we guard ourselves from getting overwhelmed with life, knocked off track with our faithfulness to the things God calls us to? We need to understand from God's word and hold at a conviction level principles from God's word about what it means to love our Savior Jesus, to love others, to be faithful before God in the way that God intends that to be manifested in our lives. So first, as we 
consider these things. I want to talk about the call for the believer to pursue Christ. That's our first bullet point on an outline. If you're taking notes, we will get you the notes. Um, All right. Number one, the call to pursue Christ. Turn to Matthew 6. Turn in your Bible to Matthew 6. When we think about being faithful in the Christian life, we need to understand what God calls us to, what God desires of us, demands of us. Matthew 6, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 33... He kind of gives this summary statement for the life of the Christian, what you're to pursue when there's anxiety in your heart about temporal, worldly things. What are we going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Jesus' directive for one who is preoccupied with temporal, worldly things is this. In verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus is really giving a a cure for anxiety, a cure for navigating this life. Don't allow yourself to be preoccupied with temporal things. Don't allow yourself to be driven by building up securities in this life. Be faithful today with pursuing God. What does God call faithfulness? What does God say faithfulness looks like today for you? And be faithful there. Now, sometimes faithfulness today means thoughtful, intentional planning for the future. Not out of worry or control, but simply prudence. To to consider things and care for your family. But don't let your heart be tied to those things as if that's the supreme end. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just be faithful. What is, well, faithfulness today looks like setting aside this much for expenditures and this much for savings. And faithfulness today looks like being faithful in this obligation. And I'm not going to let my heart dwell on what I can't control tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I'm simply going to be faithful with those those things God calls me to today and then trust him with tomorrow. That's God's call for us. There's no need for anxiety concerning food, clothing, housing, but rather seek first the kingdom of God. Store up treasures in heaven. Advance God's gospel mission. Prioritize holiness. Prioritize obedience to God. Don't overly concern your heart with things of this world, with building up your kingdom here, but concern yourself with pursuing that which bears way into eternity for the Lord. That's a shepherding your heart principle where you come to God, you pray, you renew your mind. Lord, help me to not be disproportionately concerned with the things of this world today, but help me to please you. Help me to recognize your presence at every morning, at every moment today, and help me to be faithful to you in those moments. That's shepherding your heart. 
to seek first the things of the Lord, the things pertaining to his righteousness, his kingdom, and be faithful there. And then also with this, shepherding your heart, do we think that we will lack something good if we concern ourselves with the things of the Lord and don't with the things of the world? Will we somehow miss out on something that we would actually benefit from before God if our heart focus, if the thrust of where we're putting our, our volition of our minds and our heart and our strength is towards things pertaining to the Lord? Now, that doesn't mean just live with your head in the clouds. I'm just going to read books 18 hours a day and neglect faithfulness. But no, the things that the Lord has before me, I'm going to do them for him. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to make commitments. I'm going to position my life to be one where Christ is the central focus. We won't lack any good thing. And so we're called to seek first God's kingdom and we can trust him. Now, as we also consider pursuing Christ, this is the, the heart level drive that's going to lead us into our thinking about our home and our thinking about ministry. As we seek God first as the primary source, we also need to understand how Jesus inseparably, inseparably links love for God and love for others. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Verse 36 says, Jesus is being asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, that's Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. And here you see him linking these two inseparably. The second is like it. He's being asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the crux on which, on which the follower of Yahweh's life should be fixed upon? Love for God. And then he says the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes these commandments with love God and love others. And we know that Jesus goes on to say that the distinguishing characteristic or the distinguishing mark of a follower of Yahweh is, or a follower of Jesus, is the believer's love for one another. And so... When we're thinking about God's call for us, the call to pursue Christ, we pursue the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and we need to understand that Jesus himself ties inseparably our love for God with our love for one another. Loving others doesn't mean that we love them simply as they cross our paths. Thank you, Tom. Loving others doesn't mean that, hey, we just respond lovingly when people happen to cross our paths. Do you understand what I mean by that? The call to love others is not a reactive call prim primarily. That I love others when they bump into my path. I'm on a road, I'm on a trajectory. 
when somebody crosses or is coming the other way, I go, oh, excuse me, here, pass. And, I, and I'm very kind and I'm loving and I'm considerate. And that's the extent of my love. God's intention for his people and their love for one another is an intentional, active, proactive giving of self for others' good. We intentionally and thoughtfully give of ourselves for others' good without thought of the cost to ourselves. That's what it means to love others. We intentionally and thoughtfully give of ourselves for others' good without thought of the cost to ourselves. This is God's design for the man of God. excuse me, that we pursue Christ, that we're faithful to pursue Christ. And part of that pursuit of Christ also comes with a love for others. Now, what is God's design for his church? Turn to Ephesians 2. Two passages we've looked at recently on Saturday nights. They're so informative, so crucial for the Christian life. And they really echo one another in wonderful ways. Well, actually one we looked at, the other one we're looking at tomorrow. But Ephesians 2 verse 19, this is Paul describing the Christian in their life. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together in this whole building is the believers. We are the building being fitted together. Each one of us is growing into a holy temple. We collectively are growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. God's intention for the church, God's design for the church is that it consists of multiple stones, members, individuals being connected to one another, being built up together into a holy temple, a holy household. And Christ is the cornerstone for all of us. The cornerstone was the prime stone. It was the choice stone. It was the first stone that would be laid. The angles of the stone needed to be perfect. The shape of the stone, the size of the stone needed to be perfect because it would set the course for every other stone that would follow. It was both the foundation on which everything was built and it was the lines that the design would flow from. So if you had a cornerstone that was distorted, you would get a, uh, a funky looking building. A, uh, what's the guy that rhymes the children's story, Dr. Seuss? You'd get a Dr. Seuss looking house if you had a distorted stone. It would be very eccentric, <laughs> okay? A choice cornerstone, perfect angles. Everything is firm, everything is strong if that, cornerstone is pristine. And that's Christ. And so we are being built up together, connected to one another as a holy house. Look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter echoes the same thing that Paul was mentioning 
verse 4, and coming to him, so this is 1 Peter 2, chapter 4, coming to him as to a living stone, and so Christ is the cornerstone, but he's also a living stone, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Who's that choice stone? Christ. A precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For those who believe... Christ is precious. And then goes on in verse eight, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. We'll look closer at that tomorrow. But the point is that God has saved us to build us up into a temple together. So the call for the Christian, when we're thinking through the discipline of shepherding your heart, being faithful in the home, being faithful in ministry. These things complement. They don't compete. The call for the Christian is an unwavering devotion to God. Above all else, preoccupation with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And part of this, one of the, the key manifestations of this, if you were to summarize all the law of God, it's love God, love one another. So, how do we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Love faithfully God, love faithfully one another. Now, as your identity in Christ, as one who loves God, as one who loves one another, we must also recognize that coupled with our identity as a follower of Christ is an identity of being a stone as part of the building that God is making in his local church. This, when Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2 and Peter talks about about this in 1 Peter 2, they're not talking, hey, every Christian on the planet is being built up together and connected one another to build this giant temple. There is absolutely the reality of a universal church. But God's instruction in Ephesians, what, what Paul is giving, what God's giving through Paul, what God is giving through Peter, these God-breathed words, they actually have something, the human authors and ultimately the divine author, God, has something in mind in local connection, assembly of believers, fellowshipping with one another. You can't read the whole book of Ephesians and say, well, clearly Paul had in mind just this abstract idea of universal Christians everywhere. You could not be obedient. You could not follow Paul's instruction if that's how you understand what he's describing here. Same with Peter. There's a local assembly community of believers connected to one another, formal association with each other, order, leadership, teaching, intentional practice of one another type commands in a local assembly and fellowship. And that's what we see both the practice of the early church participating in that, having Elders appointed in each church and the call to do that and seeing that practice and having local assemblies, local fellowships of believers who are connected to one another. And so this, this building up of one another, connected to one another, centered around Christ, that is part of our identity in Christ. That's God's design for his people. That there would be connectedness, involvement in one another's lives. Are you guys with me on the outline? So we're under... 
We've, we've covered the call to pursue Christ. We're talking through the, God's design for his church. The second bullet point, involvement in one another's lives is commanded. We actually see this. So this love God, love your neighbor. God's design is we're connected to one another. And there's specific commands from God's word that every Christian is obligated to. And there's just some of them. You could take the one another commands, right? What are some of the one another commands that we find in scripture? Not a, not a trick question. What's that? Yeah, or just, just you know, bear, bear one another's burdens. Excellent. Encourage one another, admonish one another, forgive one another, Mike. Confess your sins to one another. Show hospitality towards one another. I mean, the list goes on. The, the one another commands. There's also commands to not forsake the assembly in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Not forsaking the assembly of gathering with each other as some are accustomed to do. So regular commitment to gathering, commitment to one another. And there's, there's a number of different commands. We're commanded to care for one another in regards to sin. We're commanded to have preaching and teaching in the church. We're actually commanded for preaching to take place, but we're also commanded to instruct and admonish and encourage one another with what? Psalms, hymns, love. Yeah, you can't read my mind. I'm sorry. I, I set you up without enough context. Colossians 3 with Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And that's right on the heels of love one another, which is the perfect bond of peace. And then Paul goes into that. So yes, loving one another, church ordinances, baptism, communion, those things are commanded. And we, the list goes on. I mean, scripture is just replete with instruction for how we're to interact with one another in the household of God. So when we're thinking about leading towards Christ, leading towards church life, and we understand, okay, I am called by God to pursue God. And I am described by God as one who is part of the household of God. I am a member. Now, when I start to evaluate my life, what are some things that I need to understand so that I can then maximize the glory that I give to God through how I structure my life? Well, you need to understand that your actions are leading your family somewhere. Regardless of if you've given any thought or any intentionality, what you do, the decisions you make, you are leading your family somewhere. So to simply think, oh, I'm, I'm just not leading towards Christ like I, sh like I should right now. That's, the, that's one way of saying it. You could also say, consequently, I'm leading my family in directions away from Christ. Because either you're leading towards Christ or you're leading away from Christ. There's no middle ground. There's no apathy in regards to just, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not really leading as I should, but it's kind of okay. There's either areas where you're leading towards Christ well or areas where you're not leading towards Christ. Do you guys understand that? Is that, is that a difficult concept to understand? Is there anybody who doesn't agree with that? And that's okay. We can talk through that. Okay. There's, there's just not a, I'm leading away from Christ, but it's not that bad. And so what do we need to consider when we think about our actions that are leading 
our family somewhere. Well, first of all, we're leading them in what to value. What we talk about, what we do, how we live, it demonstrates what we actually value. If you miss church regularly for non-consequential things, you're demonstrating in actions what is actually important to you. If you miss the corporate gathering, if you're easily knocked off course, there are absolutely valid reasons why we miss commitments, you get sick, you go on vacation. There's all sorts of reasons that are, that are valid reasons. What can easily become the practice for some is missing because ah, I just don't really feel like it or I had a busy week or uh, I'm just really too tired to go. Well, that, that actually demonstrates through your actions what you value. In that moment, if you're really worn out from the week and you decide, I just don't really feel like going and being around a lot of people, that demonstrates that you value physical rest and personal isolation more than corporate fellowship, corporate worship in, in that moment. That may not be the whole regular course of your life, but in that moment, you are revealing what you value in that moment. Things like fellowship group, if the slightest demands of life, if you've committed to a fellowship group, you plan to attend, but the slightest demands of your schedule means you miss group or you fail to plan ahead. Um, hey, okay, we need a, a sitter once a month. We have the means. We have the resources to have a sitter, but we just, it, it's not an issue of accessibility. It's an issue of planning that shows what you value. It, it just does. It, it reveals things. You might say, no, but I had really good intentions. Okay, you, your intentions were good, but what you valued was ease. You got preoccupied with other things in life and didn't plan ahead. <coughs> Likely, uh, likewise, if you never read your Bible, if you never talk about God in your home, if you don't pray with your family or have devotion times ever with your family where things are centered around the Lord, but you have no problem talking about political issues, sports, social events or happenings going on, that communicates something and that is a form of leadership in your home. Your wife is watching, your kids are watching. If your kids have uh, sports consistently, they never mix the practice, never miss a game, or maybe they have other extracurricular drama or music or whatever, whatever the things may be. They never, ever miss one of those. But things with the church, getting together with people, those things are negotiable. Connection with the local body. Yeah, you know, we're content to see our church once a month, but oh, we can never miss a game. We committed to this. That reveals things about what you value. And let me be really crystal clear on this because I don't want to be misunderstood. This does not mean you can never miss a church activity. <laughs> Faithfulness in this area, what I'm talking about is not, well, you can never do something outside of church and everything in your life has to always be something directly related to the church. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not saying that 
You can't ever make commitments outside of the church. There's lots of opportunities. Our kids play sports. We seek to be faithful. You make a commitment. You make a commitment to a team. You need to follow that through. But what I am saying is that it is very easy to become impulsive about what we commit ourselves to in life and to easily and quickly find ourselves committed disproportionately with what God calls us to. There are many of you who are exemplary in both navigating outside commitments and staying intentionally connected with the local church. That's awesome. And that's how we should function in life. There's wonderful opportunities for our kids to enjoy things with teams and evangelistic opportunities and lots of fun communities that we can engage in. And there are ways to do that and be engaged intentionally in the church. But we need to understand what God actually calls us to. And we need to understand that our decisions matter. When we think through what we're, what we're doing, what we're valuing, it, our lives matter. It communicates something. And so while all these other examples were, hey, if you don't do this and don't do this, it communicates something. Conversely, if you prioritize things pertaining to your walk with Christ, reading your Bible, church participation, serving, that also communicates something to your family. That also communicates leadership, that pleases the Lord. If what you are eager to talk about when you sit down at dinner is what you read that day and something that happened throughout your day that you were reminded about the goodness of God, that, that comes out and that, that impacts things. I was out with Titus and Kevin Berry and Asher and I were out hunting this week. And uh, yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, we saw, we saw some deer mm. Titus was hunting. He almost got a chance to shoot at it. Not quite. It wasn't, it didn't fall in line, but we all saw this deer. And Kevin goes, you know, if we went back and we said, hey, the four of us were out and we saw a deer, nobody would question us because there's four eyewitnesses. How many eyewitnesses were there of Jesus' resurrection? And yet everybody wants to discredit it. 500 if there were 500 people on this mountain that all saw the deer and everybody had the same account, he goes, first of all, our lives aren't being threatened for proclaiming this. Their lives were, and they all, they all testified to the same thing. And just as we're out on a mountain looking for animals, Kevin's mind is thinking about the things of the Lord and it's coming out in our conversation. He was not going, how can I intentionally direct this conversation to glorify God and have it be spiritual edifying? That just was flowing out of his heart. That should, that communicates something and that should be the, the normal practice for each of us. What we value, our actions lead our family somewhere. It, it leads our family to what we value. It also leads our family in regards to what we believe about God. What should we believe about God? How we live our lives communicates what to value and what to believe about God. Your actions not only communicate what you value, but what you believe about God. Is God faithful? Is God, is following God worth it? If, if you center your life around pursuits and pleasures of this world, you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, communicate 
to your family what to believe about God through your actions. That he's not worth it. (laughs) That things of this world are on par with God. You also communicate what to believe about God's word. If you neglect commands in scripture, because they're just, you know, they're good things to do, but they're not that important. It's not that high of a priority. You communicate to your family through your actions what to believe about God's word. Do God's commands really matter? Are eternal rewards real or worth it? Are you storing up treasures on earth or storing up treasures on heaven? If you asked your children, what do you think dad is most concerned about on a day-by-day basis? Oh, he's got to work hard and make money for the family. Hmm. Okay, your actions have communicated something. Do you think that's most important to dad? Yeah, that's most important. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, dad loves Jesus. Dad wants to be faithful. Dad wants to be godly. Oh, dad loves us. He wants to serve us and care for us, lead us. You actually communicate all of these things by your actions, by the decisions you make, by how you lead your family. Now, as we consider these things, we also need to consider what are the dangers of excessive body life? How do we, how do we navigate? Oh, okay, I need to lead my family. Well, the decisions I make, what to value, how to think, what to believe about God. Oh, okay, everything's just going to be church all the time. Well, what are the dangers if we just rush into that? What are some considerations that we need to take into account? Well, first of all, negligence of other obligations in life. We can't negate or or neglect, rather, our our other obligations in life. Uh, Your kids need to be educated. You need to be a provider. There are commands in Scripture for the man of God in regards to church body life. There are also commands. You need to provide for your household. You need to be faithful with what the Lord puts before you. If you commit to something and then bail, it could be a bad testimony, depending on the nature of that thing. You need to provide, you need to be faithful in family life, other commitments. If every night out of every week you were with other people and you never had time with just your kids, that could be disheartening, that could be exasperating to them. If you're leaving your home to go lead things in the church and you're never present at home, caring for, leading your family, that could be a problem. We're feeling the, the need of presence in our home all the more as our kids get older. They're up later. They're navigating adult emotions, adult decisions, adult feelings, Uh, in adult bodies and they still feel in my mind like they're five. (laughs) So that's, that's hard. You've got to help them navigate. You've got to take time to ask them questions and listen to them. The don't touch this, go to your room, sit here kind of instruction that you give your kids when they're really little looks different. You're actually helping your children more as they grow older think through how to make decisions on their own giving them tools. 
And it's built upon the tools you've been giving them their whole lives in how to pursue the Lord and make decisions and all these things. But you have to navigate these things carefully. The other danger, neglecting the needs of your family. Babies need to sleep, right? You can't just keep your baby up until midnight every night of the week because you love fellowship in the church. Kids need to complete school. They need to finish homework. They need to get rest. You need to take care of your home. You need to accomplish things and be productive with keeping your house and navigating different obligations of life. What is important in this is delineating between needs of your family and allowing yourself to get so busy in life, work, social activities, that you actually have no margin for life. We can fill up the edges of our life with so many permissible, even good things that we have no margin for the things that God calls us to. Financial considerations. If you find yourself going, I have to work, I have to work, I have to provide. Man, we're barely making ends meet. Have you put intentional thought into your budget? Are there margins? If, if you are so consumed by work that you're not able to participate in the church, that you're not able to be present in your home, have you thought through, well, what are we spending money on? Do we need this house? Could we, could we function better for the glory of God? Could we seek Christ better if we had a smaller house and less financial burden? Some people go, oh, that's crazy. That's really extreme. It's not extreme. A house for the sake of glorifying God in obedience, adjusting a budget, selling a car, all these things. Easy, easy to navigate. Maybe hard emotionally. That just reveals that our hearts are tied to worldly things probably closer than they should be. To evaluate, is our current standard living necessary? Because you are not called to hold on to a certain standard of living, but you are called to be intentionally connected with other believers. And that's really, as we ponder these things, what we need to keep in front of us. What has God commanded me in life? And what are things that are permissible? Because if I were to summarize where the potential to go astray from the call to pursue Christ and the call to love one another to potentially go astray, greatest lies. It's within being passively uh, connected to our decisions and allowing good things to take priority over commanded things. I've committed to a several good things and now I've bound my conscience to be faithful to these things that I'm neglecting necessary things that God actually commands me to do. So, as we wrap up, I, I want to talk a little bit about faithfulness in the home and involvement in ministry. How do we navigate these things? Um, I've, heard, I've heard it said, uh, I can't go to fellowship group tonight. I haven't seen my family all week, and we just need a night at home together as a family. And then that night at home together as a family consists of watching TV for a few hours or everybody just kind of hanging out, doing their own thing on devices or 
something along those lines. That, and, and then the person to go, hey, I'm doing D2 before I do D3. This is good. That's, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about faithful in the home before you're faithful in ministry. First of all, if you've had five or six or seven nights where you haven't been together as a family, and now the only night that you have is a fellowship group night or Saturday night or something, whatever. Um, first of all, what have you been committing yourself to? <laughs> Did you have to do all of those things? Do you have to do the things that are following the subsequent nights? Um, think through that. Secondly, if you're going to give up something as precious as interaction with the body so that you can be together as a family, care for your family spiritually. Do a Bible study together. And listen, dads, if, if you feel overwhelmed at the thought of leading your family through a Bible study, just open your Bible and read <laughs> and then talk about it. What'd you guys think about that? It doesn't have to be something extraordinarily formal or profound. Just read your Bible together as a family. Pray together as a family. Sing together as a family. If you don't sing or play an instrument, turn on YouTube to songs that we know and love and just sing with the TV. Uh, we have a Gilbert Bible Spotify account or playlist pull up the Gilbert Bible Spotify playlist. If you don't have it, reach out to Sam. He can get you the link to, to pull it up and, and save it. You can sing songs that we're used to singing. Be intentional in leading towards Christ. The relationship of discipline two and discipline three should really complement each other, not function in opposition to one another. We don't ever want to leapfrog our family for ministry, Right? Hey, there's a need in the church. We need somebody to lead this study. Okay, I need to be faithful to God. I'm going to go lead it. Uh, but I haven't been present in my home. Now be present in your home. But what that doesn't mean is disconnect from participation in the body. Maybe you don't lead a fellowship group men's study in a certain season because of the time that it takes to prepare, the time that you have for your family. But be faithful in connection with the other men. Why? Because you're called to confess sins to one another. You're called to pray for one another. You're called to encourage one another. You're called to bear one another's burdens and so on. If you can't be at fellowship group regularly because of different obligations in a season of life, find other ways to intentionally be with the men in the church. That's, that's fine. That's great. That happens for most at some point in time in life where you just can't be at the things that you want to be with at the frequency that you want to be there. Don't go, well, I can't be at fellowship group, so I guess I can't be connected to the other men in the church. No, find, find a way. Make, make time. Pursue that. A tired husband after work may think, I just need to be with my family. And a loving wife may say, I know you're tired and stressed from work, but what will help you most in pursuing the Lord is actually going and being with the men. What will help you most in loving me and loving our kids as God calls you is taking the two hours to go be with the other men. I know what God says in his word about how he causes growth in someone's life and it does not come through isolation. So go, even though you're tired. 
A wife may be exhausted from taking care of the kids, running errands. She just wants to sit down with her husband and turn on Netflix. And a husband comes home and says, I know you had a hard day with the kids. I know you're exhausted. I know you're struggling in your heart right now. What will help you most is not snuggling up with me and watching Netflix. What will help you most is going and thinking less about yourself, being with the other women, looking at God's word, praying for one another, confessing your sin, encouraging you should go to group. And then do something for her while she's gone. Clean the house, empty the dishwasher, fold laundry, do something to bless her while she's gone. That's how discipline two and discipline three should complement each other, not compete with one another. We absolutely need to be faithful in our home But that faithfulness actually should manifest itself by both demonstrating and enabling our home to be faithful to the commands that God gives us. And God commands us to be connected with one another. Any questions so far? I have a couple questions that we'll wrap up with. But before we get there, any questions, comments? Go to go to group <laughs> in love. Thankfully, we're recording it, so so you might need to go fast forward and replay. But what will if you're talking with your wife and she's exhausted? She's had a hard day with the kids. She's like, I have fellowship group, but I think I'm just going to stay home. I'm exhausted. I've had a hard day. To to tell your wife, honey, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving our children. I know that what you feel like you want is just to relax and watch Netflix with me. What will actually serve your heart best is to, is to, to not stay home, but to go think about others, to not be preoccupied with the hardships you face, but to go and to serve and to love others and be engaged with others. Honey, would you consider going? I encourage you to go. I, w- I would want to shepherd my wife that way. I've, I've, I have shepherded my wife that way. Usually it's because we're hosting. <laughs> so it's a little easier. <laughs> I know you want to cancel group tonight, but it's here. We're not canceling group. I love you. I'll fix dinner. <laughs> you could clean up the best I make. No, that's, <laughs> that's usually how our, our kitchen routine goes. I... Tasmanian devil work through the kitchen. She, Tasmanian devil of cleaning, comes behind me. It's a great, great partnership. Yep. Any other questions, comments, before we jump down to the crucial questions to consider? Okay. Something that we should ponder in our own, in our own hearts in our thinking as we seek to shepherd our hearts towards these things, what happens when we neglect commanded things for permissible things? What do I mean by that? I have filled every margin in my life with, you know, I'm part of this group or this community. I do these things. I have this hobby. Uh, All those things are permissible. None of them are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, whatever those hobbies may be. Uh, But what happens when you neglect commanded things for those things that are permissible? What happens? 
yeah, values and priorities get all, all wonky. There's a lack of faithfulness. We communicate things to our family that if, if we were to verbally have said to us, we'd go, ouch. No, I don't, I don't believe that. What's a greater testimony to what you believe, your actions or your words? Absolutely. So you can speak till you're blue in the face. God, Jesus, he, everything needs to center on him. But if all of a sudden everything centers on my kids have to have this level of education, they have to be involved in these extracurricular things, I have to have my outlets, you know, whether it's maybe you have a hobby, that's your outlet. I have to have these things. But Jesus is most important. And, and I always attend church on Saturdays. That's not, that's not the temple that God is seeking to pursue or seek to, seeking to grow. Hour and a half a week attenders, that's the holy temple that Christ died for? No. <laughs> this is comprehensive life type things. He, he purchased your life, not your hour and a half on Saturday nights. He purchased your life and he's building you into a holy temple, which, which we'll talk about again tomorrow but Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Our whole life is to be offered as a sacrifice unto him. So yeah, what happens when we neglect commanded things for permissible things? It's not always or even usually bad things that keep us from the commanded things. Sometimes it's really good things that keep us from the right things or the best things. And so be intentional Think through things intentionally. What have you committed? For what season? What are the implications? And what level of involvement is right? How do you know how much you should be connected to the church? How much to serve? How much to attend? We have lots of offerings. For, for, a, for a new church plant, we have lots of offerings. Intermittent classes, uh, Saturday night service, men's EQ, women's EQ, fellowship groups, fellowship gatherings, other things that just come up in body life. There's lots of offerings uh, and lots of areas to serve. What's, what's the right level of involvement? Anybody know? If you do, could you send it to me? I'd, I'd love to have the formula. There, there's no magic formula. There's no magic formula. Prayerfully consider your life prayerfully consider your schedule. Shepherd your heart. What does God call me to? Am I being faithful in these things? Uh, if you'd like a list of the one another commands from scripture, email me. I'll send you the list. Look through the list and then prayerfully consider, am I being faithful to this? Am I being faithful to this? Am I being faithful to this? Just consider each of those. That's a, that's a great practice. Why would we not want to do that? Don't perpetually be reactive. Be proactive and thoughtful. Seek counsel and input. Oftentimes we may be blind to our own lives. Some of you may think, I'm really faithful to this thing. Maybe, maybe you have uh, connected yourself to a fellowship group and you go, hey, I'm faithful. I'm there every, every opportunity. I'm there. And then you might ask your leader, hey, um, how much have I been at fellowship group? Well, you've been two times in the last three months what? I go every time I'm able. But all of a sudden you find, yeah, but you've positioned your life to where you're never able. <laughs> but you've thought, oh, I, no, I am faithful. It's helpful to get counsel. That happens. 
to get input. Your greatest aid to living a life, what's the right level of involvement? Your greatest aid to living a life of faithfulness while juggling all of your different responsibilities is to start by addressing your heart with the core principles of loving Jesus. The goal here is not to achieve a certain level of attendance. That's not what we're going after. Love Jesus. Shepherd your heart to love Jesus. Shepherd your heart to love the things Jesus loved. If Christ was willing to die for his church, how should you feel about his church? And then let your love for Christ and your love for God's people flow into what you commit to and how you think through things, what you prioritize. Know his commands, know his instruction for the church. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Not, not in an in uh, insulting, critical way, but just not knowing. Oh, wait, God says that's commanded? Oh, I never thought about the fact that this was commanded. Yeah, I do need to make that more of a priority. We're not looking to just check boxes of attendance or, you know, proportions. I, I've, I've heard it advocated. Hey, we need to be men of balance. Eight hours a week goes to work. Eight hours a week or eight hours a day goes, uh, what is it? 40 hours a week goes to work. 40 hours a week goes to family. And then whatever's, you know, I don't know how it all broke down. He broke it down. He had it all segmented. This much for this much. I don't know that that's particularly helpful. Let all of your life go to loving Jesus. Love him completely in your work. Love him completely in your home. Love him completely in your rest. Love him completely in your leisure. Love him completely in your involvement in the church. Think through these things. People have different obligations, different capacities. Okay, there are men that I know who have a capacity to function on far less sleep than I do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's great. Just be faithful with what the Lord's given, given you. This is not something we pursue because it's easy or painless or free from hardship. We don't pursue faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to the church, because the church will never fail us, because it'll always be easy, it'll always be stress-free. No, it, it's actually hard because we know the standard that God calls us to, and so when we fail, it's in our face. It's, it's hard. It requires forgiveness. It requires patience. It requires long-suffering. It requires allowing no root of bitterness to take place in our hearts. But we're called to do it. We're called to trust the Lord and to be faithful in these things. All right, any last questions before we close in prayer? Yes, Jim. Mm Mm. Like, he doesn't know your 
Absolutely, Jim. Some people uh, lead themselves in self-deception. That's uh, it's a great point, Jim. Some people say, "Hey, I love Jesus. I just don't like people. I just—it's too hard. It's too much work." And that's like telling, you know, uh, uh, a husband, John, "Hey, I love you, but your wife is ugly." <laughs> what John's not going to want—it's a package deal, like, and. That's what it is for the body of Christ. We can't say, oh, I love Jesus, but the ones that you died for, I want nothing to do with them. And, and people, people allow themselves to go that direction. And listen, people get hurt in churches. They get betrayed. And those, those wounds go deep. Usually they're not innocent victims. They're participants in it, but they feel like innocent vi- victims. And sometimes they are. Sometimes it's just hard. But that's not permission to abandon what Christ calls us to. Well, God has to change how I feel about things. Really? Would you ever tell your kid, hey, you need to obey me? I don't feel like obeying you, Daddy. You need to obey me anyway. I'll obey you once I feel like it. That, that would never fly. No, you, you submit and you obey and you trust. And that's what we have to do. It, uh, Jim, I love that. You, you, can't, you just can't separate love for Christ with love for his church and to, to claim I love Jesus, but I want nothing to do with his people. I, Omri said it really well. Do you guys remember when Omri preached? Was that Psalm 22? Is that what he preached? Um, and he talked about if, if you don't like corporate singing as a church, you aren't going to like heaven. <laughs> if you don't like being around God's people, worshiping God, you're, you're going to really not have a taste for what heaven's like. That's just helpful. If, if I'm like, man, I'm just too tired to get together with God's people and worship. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, all right. That, that, that's revealing. We all, we all feel that. And listen, again, that's not to say that there aren't instances where you stay home because you're run down and sick and you need to get rest and, and be faithful. I really don't want to be heard as if we're we're counting numbers and then you can never miss, you can never, we're talking about the trajectory of your life, directing your heart to love the things that Jesus loves, to have a life of faithfulness before the Lord. And it does require nuanced, intentional heart shepherding to navigate these things because life is just full and there's a lot of obligations, a lot of things pulling at us. And hopefully by God's grace, we can help each other, we can encourage one another and we can be faithful with what the Lord calls us to. All right, how about I pray and then I keep putting us in this awkward situation where I go just long enough to where there's not a ton of time for groups. What do you want to do, Tom? Tyler? Why don't I pray 
and um, and we can just do a brief time in one group, and just if there's any questions, we can do that. And if there's no no questions or comments in a smaller group setting, we can dismiss. A little more room. Perfect. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you for your patience with us. Help us to love you above all else. Help us to be faithful servant leaders in our home. Help us to be diligent members of your household used for your purposes. Help us to offer our lives as living sacrifices. Help us to be less tied to pleasures and things of this world and help us to live this life with uh, eternity in view. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.